So Jessica, after the Arkansas University, what was next for you? Um, I applied to graduate schools as kind of instructed by my parents' life plan, and I did not get accepted to any um, for any topic. And I did get accepted to the Peace Corps. So I went to Bulgaria and um, in theory uh, taught English as a foreign language, but a nonviolent civil war broke out while I was in Bulgaria. Um, So this is during uh, Serbia and Kosovo and Mm. um, massive economic inflation. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, thank you for spending your most valuable commodity, your time with us today. And I just wanted to introduce our guests before we get into the show, but also some things that are going on here at uh, CRG. We recently launched our first e-course. If we think about what is it that CRG does is that we help others to improve their self-awareness so that they can improve their performance. And so that e-course is Why Aren't You More Like Me? In other words, it's on our personal style or personality and model. And as many of you know, we have an 80% switch rate to the personal style indicator from other personality assessments because it's multi-theoried based and how it's designed and the fact that we have 21 patterns when most of the other ones have 16. So anyways, we put that whole course together. It's now available online of Why Aren't You More Like Me? So you can go to crgleader.com, look under eCourses, and it is a full five hours of development for you. I know everybody wants to have tidbits, so there's 15 modules, and we really help you to understand your credibility. We help you to get clearer about what your style means, what your strengths are, what some challenges. It's also, you know, where do I take responsibility for how I show up. So that goes right back to the self-awareness. So thank you for considering that. And if you know others who could benefit from that new brand new e-course, which we've worked hard to put together, then we look forward to many of you joining us. The other one is if you just want to take the assessment, of course, you can go to crgleader.com and do that as well. So today's guest, Jessica Pettit, She's really had an interesting life. She grew up with powerlifting parents. You'll hear that story. She uh, went to university and took four different minors and double majors. So that's pretty interesting, as well as went into a war-torn country uh, and really got a different perspective of life. And now, you know, her work is goodenoughnow.com is around helping others to sort of realize the potential make sure that our biases are vetted out and then that we can grow and serve others. And as I mentioned before, if if you like what we're doing, we sure appreciate you leaving a positive comment on any platform that you're listening on and that you would share and pass it on or subscribe. So thank you very much for participating in today's podcast or being a great listener. And so let's just go in the show with Jessica Pettit. Well, we thank you for joining us. And every week we want to have some tidbits, expertise, secrets that really will help you go to the next level in your life or a story that encourages or inspires you. And so today is no exception. I have a referred guest from one of my good friends, Stephanie, who said that you need to have Jessica Pettit on your show. So Jessica, welcome to the show. 
Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. And thanks, Stephanie, for spreading the news. <laughs> well, it is all around colleagues and relationships, and we never want to forget that in a media-rich uh, life. So, Jessica, I mean, you've written a book, uh, Good Enough Now, and we'll get into that in a bit. But as we do at SOS, we want to have and find out the person's story. So, Jessica, you, you know, we're a professional speaker, consultant, uh, helping others to realize their potential. Where did uh, your sort of starting point, so in other words, where did you grow up and what was sort of your childhood like? Sure. So I'm originally from Texas and I grew up with uh, professional bodybuilders and powerlifters in my life. Um, really? w- yep, which is not something probably typical, but being an extroverted daddy's girl uh, afforded me a lot of opportunities to work with folks that um, probably directly le- led me to uh, questioning authority, um, which I think came in really handy and comes in handy when we are talking about my job and what I do. Um, and I was very, very supported. There's a probably over education in my parents and my grandparents. And um, it was, it was great. I went to college at a small liberal arts school in Arkansas where I double majored and double minored in three years, um, combining education, history, sociology, and ceramics together, which so no education, sp- history, and ceramics, like they're all related. Yeah, and surprise, I'm now self-employed. So, yeah. <laughs> so, what, um, when you think about sort of your, your parents, now, were they professional power lifters, or did they have other jobs that they had as well? My mother was a fourth grade teacher who kind of specialized in science and history, and my father was a serial entrepreneur who also was a professional bodybuilder and powerlifter until he retired. And then kind of as a hobby, he did the planning and the hosting of uh, competitive championships and meets, including the 1984 world championship. Wow. Cool. Cool. So what are some of the characteristics and qualities, you know, as a teenager growing up before you went to Arkansas that you learned from your parents or your family of origin? Well, it's a really interesting question because my brother and I have a younger brother and um, our, my mother passed away when I was 19. So my brother was 16 and I was kind of estranged from my father for the remaining 10 years of his life. And he has since passed away. So mm-hmm. as adults, um, my brother and I have reflected a lot on this and we have we have noticed, I guess, in comparison to other people we work with or befriend or whatever, is we have a very, very strong work ethic and solid sense of integrity and a wicked sharp sense of humor. And I, <laughs> and you know what? We need that. Things, I feel really. Yeah. Well, we need the uh, humor is what I was uh, referring to. Oh, I think we need the integrity and the work ethic too, but yes, but the, the, the trifecta I think has informed both my brother and my decisions, even though we have kind of gone very different routes in life. Um, and we ended up 
people that I think others would say are very, very different from one another, but those three things are still very, very consistent. And I think those are the best foundational tools that my parents were able to give us, especially when you think about they didn't know they were going to have such a short period of time. Of course, of course. And I don't think any of us plan for that, but we've all had family or probably some kind of story around that. So thank you for that. What drove you yeah, to go sure. to Ar- what did what drove you to go to Arkansas? What was what was the attraction there? How did you even determine that that's the place you were going to go? Uh, I graduated from the largest high school senior class in the United States in 1992. So there are 3,800 people in my graduating class. And most of them went to state schools in Texas. And I really did not have a very good high school experience. And I wanted to do something wildly different. And so I went to a teeny tiny school. At the time, there were 81 people in uh, what became my college senior class. Um, so it was very, very different, and it was far enough away to be far away and close enough to be close enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, I was very attracted actually getting to be a person, um, and they let me in, which I still don't understand how I got admitted, but I did. Um, <laughs> well, there we go. And then you had these all these uh, sort of double triple, quadruple majors, Uh, what were some of the things that were driving you towards those decisions as a young person? Uh, I think probably one part, um, like all of my grandparents had PhDs, and um, that's obviously quite a privilege when it comes to educational access. And because of that, I'd always kind of grown up knowing I'd get a master's degree, knowing that I'd get a PhD and that it eventually would be specialized in something that I could actually contribute back to the greater good. So the bachelor's degree was kind of, for lack of better words, the recreational education. Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever you, what I felt very clear that whatever I just naturally enjoyed that that's what I should major in because it really doesn't matter if you're going to narrow down with your master's or your PhD program, which is a very strange way of looking at a college education, but that is how I was kind of trained, right? Um, Sociology was the first class I ever made an A in in college. Um, I really like art and found three-dimensional art to be much more of a creative expression than a kind of micromanaging mind game, like oils or drawing with pencil. And, um, in Little Rock, they had a desperate need for teachers, and I really liked history. So my senior year, I actually taught full-time at Little Rock Central, where the Little Rock Nine actually went to school to desegregate schools in the United States. So to be connected to history and teaching history while also going to a lot on my plate, but I loved it. I loved every single thing about what I was studying. Mm. Oh, excellent. Excellent. And I think one of the things when you um, think about Jessica, my wife just um, retired from working as an academic coach in university and all the research, our work is around, you know, life purpose. And all the work is, is that when you're younger in that age, your ability to reflect 
and discern what's most important in your life is just emerging. So this idea that your grandparents and parents said, you know, just go enjoy and you'll figure it out later on or you'll fine tune it later on. Whatever word you want to use was was brilliant advice. So, Jessica, after the Arkansas University, what was next for you? Um, I applied to graduate schools as kind of instructed by my parents' life plan, and I did not get accepted to any um, for any topic. And I did get accepted to the Peace Corps. So I went to Bulgaria and um, in theory uh, taught English as a foreign language, but a nonviolent civil war broke out while I was in Bulgaria. Um, So this is during uh, Serbia and Kosovo and mm. um, massive economic inflation. Yes, that could be devastating, that kind of um, environment. Yes, and I also had a stable income because I was a U.S. employee. So to have a stable income inside of a devastating economic case study was um, a really phenomenal experience. And then... Um, I mean, a life-changing, like life-changing experience. I also got to travel a lot and uh, created some of my own side projects as well. And then um, I ended up getting medically evacuated because I blew out my knees. And um, so I ended my service in Bulgaria almost a year early and came home to the U S and had catastrophic knee surgery. Um, And then kind of readjusted back to America and capitalism. Mm-hmm. When you think about life changing, what, what are some of the perspectives that you can share with the audience that you found to be life changing in that environment? I mean, there's little things and giant, huge things. So little things is I had never, I grew up in like upper class suburbia in North Dallas. And so I had never experienced a, you know, a farmer's market or something like that, what we might call in the U S the produce that you bought in Bulgaria was what somebody grew and was selling at a table randomly on the Mm -hmm. side of the street. And um, like I hadn't really ever eaten a raw carrot with the green stuff still connected to it. That was dirty and met the guy who grew the carrot. I'd never done something like that. So really recognizing how separate um, here in the United States, we are from what we eat and what we purchase and the packaging and the labeling and the shipping. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, now decades later, like I think about Amazon prime, and how convenient it is, but it's really a horrible way of separating the labor, the raw ingredients and the shipping from the things that we're consuming and consumption is actually what's destroying the planet. So like to have this perspective at a young age has carried, carried on through my life. Um, But even capitalism is only a way of an economic system. A democracy is only a way of sharing resources and running a country. Um, Historically speaking, how uh, racism and discrimination and prejudice has devastated 
communities, civilizations, things like this that mm-hmm. um, aren't necessarily based in kind of the white American narrative. Like all of that stuff was just every day being completely immersed in a completely different culture, a different alphabet, a different language. What would be some insights you would share with the listeners beyond that around your perspective on life as far as how you would do life differently now and some considerations for the listeners? I I mean, I don't think you have to go to such extremes of living in a country that's been deemed a third world country for almost two years to be able to be reflective on your own consumerism. Mm -hmm. But um, it certainly was a crash course. Um, I think that there are times where, I mean, if we were to take garbage, for example, um, whatever garbage you're throwing out doesn't ever actually leave the planet. Um, It just gets relocated to a different area. Well, who lives in that area? Probably not wealthy people. Um, Why are these areas deemed acceptable to be the dumps? Um, When I lived in a place that would burn trash, where I knew enough that like, you're really not supposed to catch certain things on fire because it's really bad for the air quality, let alone the ozone layer. Um, you, I became much more thoughtful about what I was throwing away. And I also, at the same time, realized that when you're not, when you're not able to buy things with packaging, you have a lot less trash. Um, so, you know, challenging yourself to not throw anything away. Like, can you, Can you compost and use things that don't have packaging so you can take your garbage out every other time to the curb instead of every time at the curb? Like that really does help and it really does matter. Mm. And um, they're really powerful lessons I would have never expected to learn teaching English. Well, there you go. And, you know, it's interesting how you get out there and sort of widen your perspective. I live in Vancouver, Canada. Uh, Miss, they actually want to uphold themselves as the most green city in the world. So this idea of composting, separating recyclables, this is like 10 years now. And I actually grew up on a dairy farm, so I get the farming side. But interesting, I wouldn't have thought about that an individual in a city who had never been to a farmer's market or experienced produce sort of in a, in a live environment uh, as part of your experience of life. So that's an interesting perspective that there are some people who really have not had a chance to have that happen. So that was pretty cool. So you, you come back, your, your, um, you get your knees fixed. Now what? Uh, well, the knees took a long time to fix, but in theory, they're back. Um, <laughs> um, I, I would also add um, about the kind of previous reflection is that we don't know you don't know what you don't know, right? So, um, I mean, if, if we segue from me having zero access to an actual carrot that came from the ground, meeting the person who grew it and picked it up out of the ground and gave it to me, um, I also didn't know what it, how dependent on knees I am for mobility. Um, when, you know, I, Not to sound dramatic, but at one point I was told I was never going to walk again. Mm. And I mean, there are lots of people that are told you're never going to walk again. And I don't think my injury was actually that severe, but um, I'm bound and determined to walk. But I don't do the electric slide anymore. 
I'm super careful at steps and curbs. Um, I'm, I like to dance, but I don't dance as much because um, it, there's a possibility of slipping out, my, my patella slipping out again. But uh, I hadn't really thought about what it means to, to be temporarily abled until mm-hmm. I wasn't, and I was told I might not ever be. Um, so, even, so even just transitioning that is really helpful. You know, um, mm-hmm. a- after Peace Corps, I went to graduate school in South Carolina. Um, I worked full-time for uh, the governor, actually, as an AmeriCorps Promise Fellow. I also was a bartender. I had a grad assistantship, and I worked full-time for the University of South Carolina, all while going to grad school full-time um, for higher education administration with an emphasis in group counseling and crisis management. Um, that's a lot because I'm always doing too much. Um, I, After graduate school, I worked at a number of different universities as an administrator focusing primarily on uh, diversity-related issues or how to better serve underrepresented student populations on the college campuses. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that, you know, everything leading up to this allowed me the space to realize that there's something that I can do with what I am not even conscious that I have, but I am now conscious that other people don't have the opportunity or the access to things that I do do. So I think that that kind of laid out that pathway for me. Um, my research and my publications and early trainings and workshop, how privilege and power is handed out in our culture. Um, and I think that lens started from a very early age and is now my full-time job. Um, after, you know, being, I don't know how far, fast you want me to jump ahead, but after being fired a bunch of times from those jobs for pointing out how the university was really failing its underrepresented or marginalized populations, I'd go get another job, get fired again, go get another job. And when I got fired the third time, I was like, okay, so this is a pattern. And I have like, you know, student loans and bills and rent, and I got to figure something out. And at the time, Facebook was brand new, kind of hung my shingle on Facebook. At the time, you all had to have an EDU address in order to use Facebook. So it was already narrowed down to people related within education. And I got well, a severance package. I, I never knew that, Jessica, that that was the beginning yeah. restrictions. Well, there you go. I learned yeah. something today on that. Well, so um, because I got a severance package, I really had an income and insurance, which is a big thing to worry about, at least in the United States, um, probably elsewhere too. Um, So I just told people on Facebook, like, I'll do whatever training you want on whatever you want for $500 for the next six months. And mostly friends worked me to death for that $500. Um, (laughs) But I, you know, I saved all the flyers and the stuff I enjoyed doing were some of the very first programs I offered on my very first website. And I've now been speaking full time for the last 15 years. Awesome. So let's, let's jump right into your work now. What is it, if you were to describe to individuals listening, what is the work that you do now and who do you do it for? Um, so I started 
kinds of diversity issues, um, sometimes very specific, doing ally trainings around LGBT communities, talking about race and racism, um, either within the LGBT community or not, and have slowly broadened to all different kinds of social justice issues, and then even broader, the skills related to communication, team building across difference. And so um, I now I would say I speak primarily to associations um, on communication and team building and using that as a Trojan horse for real diversity work that is still desperately needed inside of organizations because it's limiting uh, retention, recruitment, team building, communication, creativity, innovation, customer loyalty, etc. So um, it's well, great. You, I love my job. Your, yeah, <laughs> thank you, Jessica, for your work. So when we think about your, you know, your title of your publication, "Good Enough Now," what's the premise of that? What do, What are you sharing with the reader and the person who's engaging that? What are you teaching us? I believe that most of the time, the reason why we are not engaging across difference because we fear a conflict is because we don't feel adequately prepared to win the conversation and actual communication and connection is not about winning. And so I believe if we can be responsible for who and how we are in our relationships, and slowly become more conscious of what we are unconscious of what we're bringing into those relationships that the self-awareness or self-reflection needed to be aware of your own patterns will immediately increase the amount of connections you are making with other human beings. And to do it, you just have to try to try because there is a possibility of a possibility of something turning out differently. Um, and so that's why, go ahead. That's why doing the best you can with what you've got some of the time is like the main thesis of being good enough now. Well, interesting, Jessica, you've said a word that's the number one anchor word for CRG here, and that is this whole concept of self-awareness and how important it is and how critical it is for us to be successful in life in whatever channel or segment we're working on. So with that, what when we think about self-awareness, what are some of the self-awareness gaps that you have found in your work that you teach about where people are, are missing it? They're not really conscious of how they're showing up and where are some things that I maybe could, as a listener, address so I can be better at these conversations? Well, w without sounding like I'm being sarcastic, there, there's a whole book about it. Um, but the activities specifically in the self-reflection part, I have available if people go to goodenoughnow.com slash freebies, F-R-E-E-B-I-E-S, you can actually download all of the handouts and activities. But I believe that bad diversity trainings have taught us that we're never, ever, ever supposed to make judgments and assumptions. And the reality is, is that we do make judgments and assumptions all the time because that's how we feel safe and prepared. And right. our life has taught us how to feel safe and prepared, but that doesn't mean that we're accurate. And so if we can be reflective of how our life and our crucible moments have taught us how to be, 
we then can take responsibility and become more accurate when engaging with somebody new. Mm. So one of the steps you're saying for me to be more accurate is to be more intentional in my reflection. Um, Intentional, but also just really consciously making the decision that you want to actually connect with someone. Um, Now, there's lots of research out there about how disconnected people are and how lonely people are. And even just having some community connection or responsibility connecting you to other people um, really can save your life. I mean, there's, there's a, a ton of research when looking at like heat waves or massive disasters that communities that may be separated blocks from one another that actually have a community connection with one another are far more likely to survive um, natural disasters, emergencies, things like this, because they have people checking on them and they have someone to check on. Whereas a block away when people are really isolated and don't have kind of a neighborly community feeling, um, death tolls are significantly higher. So how can we take responsibility for what we have to offer when most of us are sitting around waiting for someone to give us something? Mm. So. Oh, I couldn't agree more, Jessica, that, uh, you know, life in a lot of cases is a reflection. So if you want to have a friend, be a friend is, in essence, one of the principles. Do you know Marshall Goldsmith? Or uh, I'm, I know the name. So, I mean, part of what Marshall is teaching in his, as a, you know, one of the number one coaches in the world, the same thing is that, you know, everybody's looking for other people or events or, as you say, consumerism to meet my happiness or contribute to my meaning rather than being in the moment and serving and helping others. So um, agree with you there is that our ability to uh, feel fulfilled is our ability to also give. Actually, Harvard study uh, confirmed that it links to, Jessica, to longevity in that if I have a generous heart, then I actually live longer. And they put that into a 50-year study. So that just confirms your work. So what else do you teach individuals around this good enough now? And yes, they can go to your own, thank you very much, you know, goodenoughnow.com slash freebies. What are some other concepts that are in your work that the listener can just act on today, just embrace and, and go forward with it? Well, the, one of the skills I talk about is noticing. So a lot of times where our perfectionistic side won't let us do anything different until we know we can be 100% successful. At least this is very apparent in my life. And so just pick something and try to notice your own pattern around that thing. Um, so for me, very early on in my own self-reflection work, I paid attention to sidewalks. So I tend to be an extrovert, super friendly person. So I believe I say hello to everyone. Okay, well, is that true? So Mm -hmm. notice when I'm in a grocery store, I'm on a sidewalk and someone's approaching me or walking in my direction. Do I truly say hello to everyone? Do I say hello in the same way to everyone? Does it change if it's a man or a woman or someone with a physical disability or someone not or a white person or a not white person, someone who seems to be wealthier than me or someone who seems to be 
the same as me, someone who seems to be different than me, um, noticing how I actually respond, not forcing myself to respond the same way every time, but just notice the patterns of your own behavior. Mm. Oftentimes the people in our life, they are more aware of our patterns than we are. So the, the first step before you do anything is to actually just start noticing that you even exist dump the stuff you don't like and then notice in the middle there's going to be some inconsistencies that are incongruent and you get to pick and choose whether you want to keep them or not mm. oh awesome thank you uh for that and you know when it's interesting because the the issue around self-awareness and this is dr tasha urine stuff so you can use this as well jessica is that her new book called insights links to what you're saying 95 percent of people think that they know themselves only 10% are congruent with how other people see them. Yeah. So there's an 85% gap in how I see myself and how I think I show up and how other people see you showing up and how they experience you. So there's a huge opportunity for people to really get grounded and centered on what they're really, really doing. And I think sometimes we, well, not sometimes we can bias our sort of perspectives. So you're coaching me and you want me to go to the next level. What would be some other things that you are encouraging me to consider to go to a new development level that I am good enough and that I can um, do what I need to do? Yeah. And, and that's what the sum of the time thing is about is, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to try every single time. You certainly don't have to if you feel unsafe. And there's a difference between a lack of safety and feeling uncomfortable. And I feel like it's our moral duty to get really comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm. So how do, I dis how do I discern or determine if it's unsafe or uncomfortable? I... It seems like a pretty simple question, but it's amazing to me how unsafe feeling uncomfortable can feel to people. Unsafe means your life is threatened. Mm. Like you could die right now. And most of the time when you're navigating the aisle of a grocery store, your, your life is not actually on the line. You're just uncomfortable. Um, there's a significant difference between safety and discomfort but because we aren't self-reflective enough we we conflate the feelings together which then not only is hyperbolic for us but it also really underestimates when someone is telling us of a story where they really did feel actually unsafe when someone feels their life is threatened or they're sharing something with you where their life really was threatened and you are conjuring up, oh, yeah, 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 me too. This one time I was grabbing a cantaloupe and somebody else grabbed the same cantaloupe. Um, that's ridiculous. That, that's not a, a life-threatening situation. So it's mm -hmm. our job to actually get familiar with how we conflate emotions that specifically, I believe, those that make us feel like we shouldn't connect with somebody else. Mm. Now, I'm a leader. Thank you, Justin. I'm a leader of a team or a group. What are some exercises, activities that I might be able to implement from your work to help build communication and team development in my, in my organization or with my tribe or with my group, whatever? Yeah, so 
I think that it's important to be able to work, uh, work with through your own self-reflection, possibly with a buddy. Um, sometimes the exercises in the book are used as like staff development or, you know, a book club within a particular organization or something. And to be able to reflect on them and then also as a supervisor or a leader to provide the space for people to actually be able to answer the reflections that they're coming up with in their way, not in a chosen right way, um, and recognize that that also balances stuff and that might even be your own weakness as the leader, which is why you needed the team in the first place. Mm, mm, thank you. Well, we're already down to the last three, four, five minutes of the show. And, you know, you've been through a lot in your life, uh, Jessica, with different things. So I, I just want to shift it for a moment. You know, when we think about sort of wisdom, what is what are the characteristics and qualities beyond what you were talking about before, the three that your uh, family gave you? What have been sort of the core characteristics or qualities that you have embraced personally to get you to where you're at now that you think have been a contributor to you being able to do what you've, you're doing right now and overcome some of the difficulties that you have encountered? Uh, what's funny is this may seem like a very hard question for some, but I'm crystal clear on my answer. And when I feel paralysis or like a fraud or I don't really know how to go about starting to do something, um, it always comes down to four things to me, uh, curiosity, generosity, vulnerability, and authenticity. Um, if I am being my true authentic self, then I'm being myself. So I know how to do something. I just do it my way. Um, the ability to be vulnerable and share learning and errors and mistakes and listen to other people's, I think makes me a better person and a, I can connect with other people better. Um, but then also people give me the opportunity to show up as well when they, they provide a space of vulnerability for me, if I do for them. Um, the idea of generosity is that the most frustrating, annoying person has something to teach me. And if I can listen to them as if they're wise, I'm just adding more generosity into our connection, which is never really a bad idea. And then really, um, curiosity is what if it's possible? What if, what if it is something else? What if it's something that I'm not thinking of? What if it's something I don't know or I don't recognize already? Um, by genuinely allowing space for curiosity, creativity, new ideas. Um, you know, most organizations I work with have to conserve resources and have hiring freezes. And the answer can be done. You just have to provide space where you are encouraging people to try, which may mean rewarding failure. But that failure is just as much of a lesson as a success. And it leads you to success. So curiosity, generosity, vulnerability, and authenticity. Those are my four walls of the box I try to live my life in. Cool. Thank you very much for that. And so as we wrap up the show, uh, let's do a couple of things. First of all, how can people get a hold of you again? Just remind them of your website. Absolutely. So it's, 
It's goodenoughnow.com. And if you're interested, you can go to goodenoughnow.com slash freebies, F-R-E-E-B-I-E-S, and learn more about the activities, download the handouts, things like that. And they could also find out or purchase your book off your site as well. That or Amazon or any used bookstore, Abe Books, etc. Awesome. So to wrap this up, what would be the final piece of wisdom to encourage the listeners today, uh, Jessica? No matter who it is or what it is, their life has taught them to show up the way they are showing up. No matter who it is or what it is, your life has taught you that this is how you should show up. And if you both do the best you can with what you've got some of the time, you will be able to make a connection. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Jessica, for that word of wisdom, plus all the wisdom during the show. We appreciate you taking your valuable uh, time and spending it with the listeners today. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, You're welcome. Well, SOS listeners, uh, you have been listening to Jessica Pettit. And so part of this is we teach self-awareness. We also teach responsibility for being aware, paying attention. So take all those strategies, thoughts, go to our site, goodenough.com slash freebies. Find out some of those informations there. So as we always do and end the show, we thank you for spending your most valuable commodity. That's your time with us today. If you like what we're doing, could you just leave a positive review on whatever platform you're listening on or share it or pass it on to other people that you care about? Thank you again for listening to Secrets of Success. I'm your host. Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com, scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.